Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Good evening, everyone. Whether you're on YouTube, listening to us uh, on whatever your favorite podcast app might be, your uh, streaming uh, platform du jour, welcome. It is Tuesday, October 17th. I am Matt Harris, uh, nominally the basketball editor at Rock Game Nation. And today uh, we have a Sam Snellingless episode of Dive Cuts. This is going to go probably as terribly as your mind can conceive. Sam is in Chicago uh, with the missus, doing good husband things, celebrating, I think, her birthday. Uh, probably eating at a really fancy restaurant. Probably sif- probably you know, sipping a 30-year-old um, stout from a very fancy glass and saying it's not as good as Side Project. But I am here tonight handling the hosting duties, and to my left... Or to my right, I should say, or over here on the screen, is Mr. Matt Watkins joining me uh, from the fine suburban landscape of uh, St. Louis this evening. Matt, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, we're in the part of the year where we're getting actual <laughs> sort of tidbits. It's tidbit season, mm-hmm. as I like to say it. It's media polls are coming out. We're seeing analytic sites releasing preseason kind of. And I guess what I would say rankings and guys are getting in practice gyms. They're talking to guys and with microphones, they're saying their coaches like their dad, their teammates are like their brothers. And this is just one big family atmosphere. that's going to pervade throughout the year. 
even when they get to January and they're fighting, fighting to stay at 500. So it's, it's that <laughs> time of year. So it's, but basketball is nigh. We're running previews. We're doing all kinds of stuff. So I, th- I think it's pretty good. Um, I wanted to start off by saying we've had Mizzou Media Day uh, in the last couple of days. They all showed up to the Albrecht family um, practice gym yesterday, I think. And, you know, there were many, many players there. I think all of them were there, which, you know, sometimes there's always a few stragglers that don't manage to get to the door or some guys are given leave, you know, if they have class. But apparently every guy showed up. All the coaches were there. Dennis Gates held court. And, you know, this is going to be sort of a free-flowing thing. The one thing that stood out to me is I didn't really see a dominant sort of theme from the day yesterday. I, I think a lot of it was sort of what we would say is cliched, but, you know, as you sort of like tried to parse, you know, the the content and sort of the, the messaging that the program was sending out yesterday, did, did anything stand out to you, you know, sort of from the, the affair yesterday? Not really. I mean, <clears throat> I, I guess I've been around long enough to read the off season coverage and the preseason media days. Everyone's going to play faster. The chemistry's great. Um, going to score a lot more points. Things are looking up. We're excited about the season. We're looking ahead to March, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> there were some specifics from Mizzou in there, you know, a few things that caught my eye that were actual details, but the general tenor of these things is, eh, let's see when they play. Right, right. I, I think the one thing that you and I sort of noticed was, I think, you know, Dennis Gates saying, you know, he would, you know, if he could have 20 guys and run four teams, he would. And I think, you know, that's sort of been, you know, from our seat and how we sort of, you know, in our wonky hats when we put them on is we're always sort of looking at roster construction and depth and how right. these guys want to put the pieces together. And, you know, there are 18 bodies right now, which is a lot. And some of these guys that are here, could be ostensibly playing low major basketball or mid major basketball somewhere else, like JB Brown, who is a preferred walk on, had solid low major offers. Danny Stevens had low major offers. Bavor Bajac could probably be playing still, you know, in like an OVC type of program. Mm-hmm. You know, Caleb Brown went into the portal and, you know, visited UTSA. You know, to me, I, I think the question is going to be is there too many bodies at a certain point? And just I'm sort of curious, you know, how he's going to you know, start to manage the expectations when you have this many cooks in the kitchen. So I didn't know if, if that struck you in any particular way, you know, with Dennis saying he wants that many. He wants a whole eighth grade classroom, basically. In practice <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was definitely one of the things that stood out to me. And <clears throat> as far as this year is concerned, I don't really see it being much of a problem. Um, you know, depending on how you count, we, we don't even know technically who the scholarship players are and if that even matters now. I mean, for all we know, Nick Honor could be a non-scholarship player. Right. He's going to probably lead the team in minutes. Do we call him a scholarship player or do we call him something else? But for my purposes, when you really look at the roster, there's, you know, there's 13, maybe 14 guys that you're looking at actually seeing the court unless it's extreme mop-up duty. Um, And we'll see that throughout the year, you know, when, Ben Sternberg got in the games last year, you know, that will happen. But as far as guys that are in the rotation, they're probably going to try and play 10, 11 guys on a nightly basis. So you're really only talking a flex of maybe two to three guys that um, aren't comfortable with the fact of sitting at the end of the bench. 
and guys who are actually going to be playing a lot. So this year, I don't see that being as a problem. But going forward, if you're taking five-man freshman yeah. classes that are all top 100 players and you're trying to build a 20-man roster that way, that's when you're going to get into some problems about guys not being happy, guys wanting yeah. to get out, etc. So I think this year it's probably not going to be too big of an issue, maybe with the freshmen. But, again, we won't know until we yeah. see them. Um, I, when I looked at it, you know, going through the offseason, you know, and I think, you know, as we sort of did the number crunching and sort of tried to figure out the minute allocations, you really got to a top seven pretty quickly there. I think mm -hmm. the one thing that didn't come out yesterday was sort of what's the expectation for a guy like Aiden Shaw, who I think, you know, to surprise to some might be closer to the, that cut line than you think when you really look at how the roster sets up <clears throat> at his position and sort of what they're going to be doing. You know, a guy like Aiden Shaw may, you know, have to fight and claw, you know, presuming that that jump, you know, hasn't quite been as substantial as we think. You know, Kurt Lewis is a guy who, you know, if you read some national out there saying, oh, they got the Juco player of the year. There's a world where Kurt Lewis is eighth or ninth in the in this rotation at this point. You know, the first guy we wrote about, you know, in the player preview, Zeus Carolero may be a guy that's toward the back. So I think that's really what I was sort of looking at is, you know, were there any sort of hints, you know, teased out as, you know, what sort of an early pecking order is going to look like. I think they're going to play a lot of guys, yeah. early, but really hard to to even kind of discern at this point, you know, if they're tipping their hand at, on anything in the rotation. Yeah, I haven't really seen it, and I've kind of kept an eye out for that because that's one of my pet projects in the offseason <laughs> yeah. is projecting all this stuff. And it's it's an exercise in futility. I like to think that I do better than most. But, you know, and Isaiah Mosley, who we expected to lead the team in minutes last year, played 19% of minutes, and Dre Golston swapped spots with him. We were right about you everything know. else pretty much, though. Right you know, if, if we looked at it from a role perspective, we were 100% dead on. But as far as the player, things happen. You know, yeah. you, you just, you don't know. Everything else looked good, but that's a pretty big miss. So, mm. you know, I look at this year's roster and I agree with you that there's, I don't see any way that there's not going to be kind of like a delineation between the top seven and then the next group. And in that top seven, I think most of us would agree that uh, Nick Honor, Noah Carter, John Tanjay, Caleb Grill, Sean East, Tamar Bates, and Connor Vanover are probably going to make up that nucleus, not only because, um, you know, I think they're the leaders at that position, but they're all the, also the oldest guys on the team. Yeah, and yeah. that that plays a role. And that doesn't mean that an Aiden Shaw or Trent Pierce, Kurt Lewis, or Jesus Carolero could jump into that next group. Um, you know, it, it's, it's very possible. I just think that next group of three or four is less likely to get top seven minutes than the group ahead of them and the fact is you know in <laughs> whether it's the coaches speaking whether it's the players speaking or even us trying to do it we look at a guy like jesus carolero and like i see why they brought him in and when i project him at a pretty low minute total you're like well i could definitely see him playing more than that well guess what you got to take those minutes away from someone yeah it's not just you can't play there there's 200 minutes in a game you can't play 250 it, it's just not possible yeah um otherwise you're going to get in a lot of technical fouls i guess yeah. but uh you yeah know. so the it's other, always a give and take yeah the other, the other thing that i think is going to become a pressing question I know you're writing and working on a piece about it is 
you know, the, the big thing I think that was touted yesterday was look at our depth, look at sort of the flexibility we have. You and I have really looked at the numbers and, and sort of tried to flex it. This offense can be hyper efficient. It can be hyper, you know, you know, it can relieve a lot of sort of the playmaking duties from people. But what it doesn't have necessarily is kind of what I would say is that late clock option or a guy that, you know, as we saw against you know, maybe Arkansas at home or against Utah State, even to some degree against Alabama, where you just come down, run a simple slot ball screen and let that guy go. They could do it with Kobe. They could do it to a degree with Dream <clears throat> Day when he was available. There were three or four guys that you could say, okay, we love running our Princeton stuff. We love running our shuffle stuff, but we need a bucket and you right. know, the offense isn't getting it for us. Let's give it to that guy. I don't know if this roster has that. And I don't <laughs> think we're going to know for a little bit, but I think there wasn't anything coming out yesterday where it was, you know, Gates or even this, you know, from what I saw from some assistants saying, oh yeah, we feel like this guy can go do that for us. I think that's very much an open question at this point. Yeah, I think even if they did have that, and I'm not certain that they do, that's why I spent close to 3,000 words and numerous charts pecking out this piece that's going to drop before the season. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the narrative around Mizzou was well-earned that Dennis Gates ran an extremely good offense last year. Um, you know, he ran great stuff. They played up-tempo. They shot it well everything but you know when we're watching games and i'm not even really focusing on this so much in our um, film pieces after the game but there were times as you said that the best offense was finding a mismatch and generally it was kobe um where there's either a guy that was too big or too small fall guarding him and mizzou just found a little bit of a creative way to get him the ball and just let him go to work yeah. Um, you know, and when you have a guy like that who can just he's really hard to be matched up with. All of your offense falls into place because they don't the opponent doesn't have anyone that can guard him. Now, when we got into games against Alabama, Texas A&M and even Mississippi State, to some extent, they were elite defensive teams and Mizzou really couldn't do that. And as you as we saw, they suffered at times. Um, playing those really tall, long, athletic defenses. But, you know, for the majority of the year, 85 90% of the year, you're not going to be facing those teams, but you still need a guy like Dre Golston or, uh, you know, we're not going to get into the whole Mosley thing, but a yeah. guy like that who can generate offense himself in a one-on-one -on -one format when your base offense and your transition is not netting points. Mm. Uh, I was going to say, you know, we've – we spend a lot of time on the player previews. Um, you on the front end doing a lot of the data work and doing sort of the projection work, me cutting the tape and putting it, you know, sort of in a way that sort of accentuates different tendencies or different sort of schematic purposes <clears throat> that a guy might serve. As you went through, and I just wanted to sort of throw this up because we're in the middle of doing them now, you can kind of look back and, and breathe a little bit now that <laughs> your part's done. Were there any sort of, things that struck you about this rotation, about this roster construction, having gone through and looked at every guy's role and tried to project it, was there anything that you were sort of surprised by or that kind of made you go, huh, and, and made you pause? I'm always sort of curious when we come out of this, did we learn anything new? I, I hate for us to just affirm our own suspicions, but I didn't know if there was anything that really stood out to right. me. No, I know what you're saying. And, you know, obviously I learned a lot of new stuff about the transfers coming in. And I believe – 
after tomorrow, all of those pieces will be out. So you yeah. get a good, good feel for that. So I wasn't really surprised by anything there, I guess. Um, you know, Connor Vanover, I will say that I, I've mentioned this in the piece and I've talked with various people about that, you know, anytime his name comes up, it's kind of like, mm, you know, yeah. and <clears throat> I, I get it. I mean, what was it? January of 2021. Yeah. Jeremiah Tillman had a career game and, Connor Vanover was on the receiving end of that. And I get why that's your impression of Connor Vanover. And I don't think it's fair, but I get it. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's a good player. He's, he's an efficient player. He's not going to be your number one guy. And when you look at him being seven foot five, he's not a back to the basket down yeah. low, banging, banging around, dude. Um, he's, uh, I don't want to call finesse, but he's, he's a, he's a stretch stretch big and yeah. i think in mizzou's offense that fits well but to answer your question i think the biggest thing at least it's not a surprise but looking at nick honor um he's gonna have to step it up yeah. as far as his involvement in the offense and he did great in his role last year he didn't need to step it up anymore um and what i mean by that is he had a 13.4 percent usage rate if yeah. i recall 13.4 13.6 and basically, to put that in context, is that if you had an even balance on the team, your five players on the floor, they'd all have a 20% usage rate. Yeah, That's never going to happen. You have guys that are a little bit more heavy usage. Trey Golston was at 25, for example. But 13.4%, and a lot of it is owed to him never turning the ball over, so credit to him there. But yeah. that's just not enough for a team that's going to rely on balance. He's going to have to be more of a um, creator offensively. Um, and I think he can be, he has been in the past, you know, at Clemson, his usage rates were between like 17 and a half and yeah. 20%. So he's done that at a high, high major level, but that was probably the most shocking thing from a, from a statistical standpoint that yeah. like, man, we really, we really need to get him involved. And I believe yesterday, I saw a quote come out that said either he or someone else said he needs to shoot more. And yeah. yes, 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 yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one thing that I will say is like, I was cutting going back through kind of the film from last year and I put it in different buckets and then sort of like, mm -hmm. you know, I use an, or I basically outline it within the file tabs. He wasn't really used a lot in what I would say are Missouri's like go-to actions. Wasn't used a lot in delay action you know, where they throw the ball to a big at the top of the key was almost never really involved in sort of that pinch post stuff where he got involvement was if Mizzou decided we're going to try and just either run variations of five out or some pistol action mm -hmm. and we can get him moving side to side. We can get the ball swinging. We can flow into some DHOs or some handoffs. He can hunt. He can read. He can I think where his strength is he understands what he wants to do when he turns the corner, not going to blow you away, but he can find a crease and get to it and mm -hmm. strong enough and sturdy enough to absorb contact understands when guys are playing drop coverage and can get to a pull up knows when a guy is sinking under the ball screen and can shoot it. You see really good reads being made there, but a lot of what Missouri did in those situations is we're going to have Kobe as the screener and we're right. going to slip it. The one thing that's going to be really interesting that I saw a lot of today was saw a lot of Noah Carter in him in those five out mm -hmm. actions. Now, Missouri is <clears throat> never going to be an exclusively high pick and roll ball you know, club, but I think there are things you can do 
with those two and some two-man game to, to really get him involved. So I think that there's stuff when you go back and look at the film, you see little threads that the staff can pull at. I think that's sort of mm-hmm. what's what stood out to me about watching these guys is, you know, Noah Carter knew he was a great cutter, better cutter than I remember last year, almost never used in pinch post actions, almost hardly ever got touches in that spot of the floor. Right. Forget even, you know, facilitating. Can he score consistently? Are they even going to use him in those spots? Um, almost no real consistent uses for Aiden Shaw, as we knew after non-con. <laughs> The one thing that I did like about Sean East is I think if you get him into some five out stuff where the reads are simple, where it's read the roller, read the low defender on the, on the box and look wide, he can make the right pass. He can make mm-hmm. good decisions in that spot. So you see some strengths of this group that are, that are sort of coming out, but I, I think, you know, you do a great job projecting it and looking at how the guys are going to fill in statistically. I think the hard part for me is it's not just a guy they can throw the ball to offensively and function, you know, independent of what they're running offensively. Who's going to fill that sort of prime slot? Because Dree could even play at the, in those elbow actions at times. Who's going to fill in those spots there? We're not going to know until games tip, but I think that that's sort of the lingering thing as we move into the into uh, you know non-con in a couple of weeks. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We also got other news. We got we we talked about the SEC here too. Um, <laughs> we got the SEC poll today, um, and not really a ton of surprises up and down the board. Tennessee is picked first. Uh, it's I'm trying to get it pulled up right now. If I can get it into the SEC media poll. Uh, and sort it in my sheet here. Our number one team is uh, Tennessee, not a shock. Texas A&M at number two, not a surprise. Arkansas at third, not a shock. I mean, you Kentucky fourth, Alabama fifth, Auburn sixth, Mississippi State seventh, Florida eighth, Missouri in ninth, Ole Miss tenth, Vanderbilt eleventh, Georgia twelfth. And this is sort of the one modest surprise. I'll say very, very modest. LSU in 13th. 
I was sort mm-hmm. of surprised to see LSU in 13th. Not surprised to see South Carolina in 14th. <laughs> that is, if there's two poles of consensus here, it's Tennessee first, South Carolina last. And then everyone seems to agree that Ole Miss is going to finish 10th. It, it really is sort of some, some unity there. I didn't know if there was anything that really jumped out to you about sort of where, you know, the, of sort of the pecking order that's set down here. I think we track it, but you never know until all the votes are tabulated. I didn't know if there was anything that really yeah. caught your eye. I, I don't really think so. I mean, LSU, there a lot of that's probably due to uh, Matt, McN- Matt McMahon's first year going really off the rails and then finishing 14th with, what, one mm. or two conference wins. Yeah. They were competitive in a lot of games, but you lose a guy like Adam Miller, you lose K.J. Williams, um, you know, <laughs> you lose two good scorers off a really bad team, you're probably going to be picked at the bottom. Same thing with South Carolina. You you lose a first-round draft pick. He, Gigi did go first round, didn't he? Uh, second. Second, second, no matter. Second. You lose your best player <laughs> and you finish bottom, bottom four in the league, you're probably going to be picked there. Um, you know, at the top, I'm – I just – I really do like Buzz Williams. I'm probably in a minority on that um, among the zoo faithful dating back to 2009, but I think he's a really good coach, but man, I just do not know if I'm a buyer on, on the Aggies. They got a wide swing, man. They got a wide swing. (laughs) I mean, even last year they were terrible in the non-conference Yeah, and then they really turned it on. They have a good defense. They're always going to be very good on that end. So the floor is there. I mean, they're not going to be a bad team. Um, but you know, it's just, sometimes it's a, it's a bear watching them put the ball in the basket. So, um, you know, even a team like Tennessee who doesn't run beautiful offense, they run 1950s style offense. They still generally can put points on the board pretty efficiently. Um, but Texas A&M sometimes if, if they're not knocking down outside shots, it can be awful, awful stuff to watch. Their, Their best offense is going to the glass. It's going to the glass. <laughs> it, I, I think the hard part that you run into with A&M is that Missouri's model is possession-based, where they want to turn you over. They want to mm-hmm. you know, play in transition. A&M, to a certain degree, is that way. Not as temp, not as high tempo. They want to get out and, you know, they want to grind the pace and then force turnover and then score against you. And then they're going to try and just white-knuckle it and get on the glass. That's a pretty narrow margin for mm-hmm. error. You know, and AM had some games last year where they were able to tip it and it worked pretty well. They're also not going to have a guy like Dexter Dennis, who was a fantastic on ball defender, help generate a lot of those turnovers. I, I can see why AM has a little bit more variability. Tennessee brings back, I think, third or fourth most production. They recruited a top 10 level every year. You know, they went and got Dalton Connect, who supposedly should give them a wing score, although we he's know pretty <laughs> he's pretty good. But we also know that sometimes that that jump in conference mm-hmm. level can be can be tough. I, I'm really, really fascinated by what Kentucky does without functional <laughs> big men early on <laughs> and in a sport that has really trended, really, really trended towards, you know, experience. But you know, the days of just slotting Kentucky number one are over their fourth now. The one team that I think I'm probably lower on than most is Auburn. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, when we did our picks, I had Auburn in ninth. I'm sure I'm going to have memes and 
my mentions with you know laser eyes so that's that's going to be fun if this filters its way back to the planes but i don't know if i trust the guards in auburn Mm -hmm. you know katie johnson is not who i think of when i think of (laughs) offensive initiation and creation um you know they've got a top 50 you know they got a five-star freshman coming in but who's more of a scoring point they've added denver jones who's a guy coming from FAU. I think they were 210th in FIU, FIU, FIU. Yeah. (laughs) And not the good one, (laughs) not the good one. Yeah. They they kept everybody there. They wanted to stay in Boca. (laughs) They want to stay in Boca. Um, Chad Baker, Mazzaro, Juco wing. Don't know if I love that composite backcourt. A lot of depth pieces back. Janai Broom's a really, really good big. I think he I think it's right to have him as an all-conference pick. But man, I just Bruce, you know, has earned some equity, but I don't know if I like I think he's pushing it with this backcourt this year. Yeah, I think had you instead of trading Aiden Holloway, their freshman point guard, for Wendell Green and instead toss Katie Johnson, I'd probably be a little bit higher. Yeah. I, I'm higher on Green than I am on uh Katie, yeah. On uh Katie. Katie is like a mix of um uh jt tiller and like i don't even know what he jt tiller was way more composed <laughs> um, yeah. but he plays with that same like i'm just going 100 miles an hour no matter what happens and if you take away like any uh sense of responsibility with the ball that's that's kind of what you're getting with uh with one of your main point guards which you know in, a, in the right system and with the right guys around him can work last year it really didn't um, they'll be a good defensive team, I think, and a lot of it will be dependent on how Holloway comes around. And if he's, you know, if he what's what's the point guard? Those are a few years back, the freshman on their probation year. Oh, I can't remember. I can I Sam asked me this last weekend. I couldn't remember. <laughs> but anyway, that guy really made a difference on their team as a freshman. Yeah. Um, you know, I should have been more prepared on Auburn, I guess. <laughs> Auburn of multiple years ago. Um, but <clears throat> you know. Bruce has had good guards and that's, that's always a possibility, but I, I agree with you. I don't see them as a, you know, a team really fighting for a buy or a double yeah. buy in the, in, or in the SEC tournament. Uh, Florida will be interesting. Sam and I mm. talked about them last week, losing, losing a four man. Um, the only other real news I think we're going to wait for is probably Ole Miss and LSU waiver decisions. Uh, still no uh, puffs of white smoke from the NCAA conclave on that, but <laughs> Um, 80% reject rate makes me think, uh, they should be planning to not have, uh, any of those guys on the roster. The only other thing I would say is it's a pretty bland preseason all CC team. Mm-hmm. Um, the first team is Grant Nelson of Alabama transferred from North Dakota state, Trevin Brazil coming off a knee injury, uh, at Arkansas, but is, has sufficient buzz to land on the team. Janai Broom, who we just talked about. Justin Edwards, a freshman sort of, you know, hybrid 3-4 wing top a lot of draft boards right now. Uh, he'll be at Kentucky. Tolu Smith. Um, these Hurt. votes were cast before the foot <laughs> uh, issues came up. Uh, Santiago Vescovi, who is still here. And I still He's older than I am. <laughs> yeah. People were, at, people were shocked that, you know, Wade Taylor was still around. Wade Taylor's a junior. So Vescovi's got you know, two years on him. 
Uh, the second team is Mark Sears of Alabama, uh, Devo Davis from uh, Arkansas. Arkansas. Yep. Uh, a big breakout candidate on a lot of lists this year is uh, Riley Kugel of Florida. He's there. Antonio Reeves is back in Kentucky. That We do know that. He's back. He, he made that decision. And then Zakai Ziegler, who is coming off a knee injury. Just kind of a weird list. We've got a couple of transfers. We've got some guys coming back from injury. We've got a guy who is currently injured, um, but not really a surprise. Uh, all these guys, all 12 players are from teams picked in the top eight. Um, I think I told you before we started recruiting, the only modest omission I think is I would have put Matt Morell somewhere on my list and Tyron Lawrence <clears throat> – yeah, closed really strong last year, really, and I think there were some durable gains there. But I understand why people don't, you know, reach into the bottom, you know, four or five to pick guys. But those are two guys that I think are really, really good players. That, you know, if I had to look at Antonio Reeves, I'd put Matt Morell in that sure. spot. Or, you know, if I had to look at a Trevin Brazil, I might have done that. Just because, not that I don't think Trevin's a great player. I love Trevin Brazil. It's just. We don't know what we're going to get there yet. We don't know what he's going to look like. Auburn, Arkansas, both coming after you now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's okay. It won't matter if I'm very polite in, in my critiques. They're still going <laughs> to invade the mention. So uh, we'll see. Wade Taylor is the preseason player of the year, which just makes me feel great because, man, I love a guy who's just a chucker by nature being our POI <laughs> candidate. It's going to be fantastic to watch that. Um, overall, though, I think it, the POI and the preseason teams reflect it's a league without like really strong names this year. It, it, I, I don't know. That, Let me that's... ask you this: If you had the opportunity to pick odds on the SEC Player of the Year coming from either the preseason first team or second team versus the field. Like anyone not on that list, who would mm. which bucket would you choose? I take the field. I, I think this year there's a there's a good opportunity for that. I mean, the, these lists are good. We know all these guys except for uh, um, Edwards at Kentucky. You know, we've seen most of these guys play. We know what they're capable of. They're all good players. But do I really see a guy on that list that's going to have an, a Brandon Miller type impact or even a Kobe Kobe Brown type impact no, no. on that group? I, I don't know, man. I, I just don't know. No. And the, the thing about Taylor is that guy is just at times in non-con. There's non-con Wade Taylor and then there's conference Wade Taylor <laughs> where he's he can shoot you out of some games. So it's it, it I think that's sort of the indicative of where we are here is there's not an Oscar Shibu where we go, oh, yeah, that's the preseason player of the year. Or even like three or four guys on that first team where I feel really, really strongly about them. I think it's, Broom is probably the best opportunity yeah. in my in my estimation of that group to be player of the year. But you know, again, if if Auburn has kind of an underwhelming year, he's not gonna be the player of the year. So Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about it is if Arkansas is in the contention, that's transfers. A lot mm -hmm. of transfers again. If AM's in contention, it's probably gonna be Taylor. Kentucky, it's really even hard to tell just because they're going to, you know, it could be DeWan Wagner's going to get a lot of usage. Edwards is going to get a lot of usage. Reeves wouldn't be back if he didn't think he was going to have a prominent role. 
Alabama is a weird one because I think they're going to have like what four transfers, four mid-major transfers, and they're yeah. starting five are, are going to, and they're likely starting five. So that's a kind of a weird one. Broom there. It's it's a year where I, I think egalitarian is probably the best way to describe roster construction across this <clears> conference. There's not a lot of headliners. It's probably going to be you know what kind of group do you have, which that's good if you're Missouri. It's good if you're Missouri. You know if if your core and your group can function well, and you know you're not playing teams with a lot of alphas, that that opens a little bit of a path. Right. So that's pretty good. I think there's a lot of good teams in this league, and I don't know that there's a great one. But we didn't know Alabama would be great last year either, and they, I would put them into that category. So you know, you just you don't know until the until the no. games start going that what you're. Really I mean, have. Tennessee's bringing up the rear in the top ten, usually seven to ten. And, you know, if you look at where they are I in, you know, way absurdly too early bracketology, I can't even believe I'm saying it. <laughs> October 17th. I'm, I hate myself right now. <laughs> Tennessee is being projected, what, like a three or four seed? Like, yeah, something like that. Like, this is a league that, you know, what's, I think this is probably a good segue too, is it's projected adjusted efficiency margin in Kimpom is 16.39. It hasn't been that they have not finished a season as a league with that high of a mark, anything close to that since 2007. Which is weird because, I like we just said, this is a league where I look around and I don't see loaded rosters. So it's a really strange sort of year where there's a lot of good teams. There could be strength kind of maybe up and down the lineup to the where maybe you are the second best conference in the country, but you have no dominant team. Right. going into March. So it's, and there's no like real face of the league as a player. It's a really sort of not weird, but it's just a different year for us as we sort of get ready and get geared up. But on Kim Palm, we, we were having fun looking at the release on Kim Palm Sunday. It yeah, was, it was good. It was, um, Kim Palm considered the gold standard. Um, the oldest, I would say probably the most respected, the most venerated, um, mm-hmm. Not a lot of surprises in spots one through 10. Realistically, a lot of sort of consensus with some other outlets like Evan Maya, you know, Eric Haslam, you know, and Tor, you know, Bart Torvik. But when they got into the bottom four, <laughs> Georgia is the 11th team, is, is picked to finish 11th, essentially, in Kim Palm's model. They're 57th in Kim Palm. That is their next highest rating is in Eric Haslam's metrics at 84th. Mm-hmm. South Carolina is 66th. Its next highest rating is Maya at 89th. <laughs> Vanderbilt is 79th. It's the only one that you that is sort of in the ballpark. And then there's Ole Miss, which is picked to finish dead last in Kim. They're 82nd. But after that. It's 31 spots away. Their next lowest pick is Evan Maya at 51. I've I spent at least an hour and a half looking through <laughs> my returning production, looking through recruiting stuff, looking at weights, and I don't know how we got here, Mr. Watkins. I don't know how this happened, but it's blowing my mind. And yeah, that's, I, that's sad, know. but it's blowing my mind. 
the, uh, the thing is like with Georgia and South Carolina, I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a believer in the numbers. They're going to change. You know, these are projections. They're not set in stone. Right. Kim Pomeroy isn't sitting in his basement looking at all these numbers said, <laughs> I'm going to put Mizzou 55th and watch this. It's not how it works, no, you know, no. but part of the, part of the system is that they do look at past program history, recent history. And when you look at South Carolina, Georgia, and even Mizzou, those teams underwent a coaching change a year ago. So your, your sample set for these past three or five years, whatever he chooses, includes a first year of a, a new head coach and the last year of a guy who got fired. Yeah. So it's going to be wonky. So that's why I was very surprised with you how South Carolina can be projected as someone competing to be on a bubble team when they were absolute garbage a year ago. Um, Frank and they Martin, returned the most production in the conference, <laughs> and they had the 10th best transfer class. It makes no sense. I don't know. Yeah. I, it boggles the mind. And, like, the it's, transfers they got weren't coming from elite programs either. Talon Cooper and Minnesota weren't dicing people up in the Big Ten. Wofford was down in the SoCon. This was not, you know, Miles Stute might be their best pickup, and he came from Vanderbilt. So it, there was nothing that really stood out to me that made me go, yeah. what, what what are the variables here? And that, I, I think at least, if nothing else, it's a positive for Mizzou and the rest of the league. Um, you know, I this is way too verbose to really get into here, but, you know, the Big 12 has always been favored by Kim Pomeroy in the last few years. And a lot of that has to do with all their programs are consistently good. So they're, you know, when he builds the baseline for these initial projections, which the rest of the year builds off of, um, you're starting with teams that are all really good. So when you get into conference play or rated really good, so when you get into conference play, instead of playing, the last place team being in the forties or fifties in Kim Pomeroy in the big 12, you're playing in the eighties or nineties that has a cascading effect on the rest of the schedule, your strength of schedule, your adjusted efficiency margin. So when you're starting out high and your strength of schedules that's incorporated throughout the remainder of the season until it eventually filters out, but I still think there's some sort of lasting effect in the strength schedule component. Um, that these baselines play into. And I, I don't think that had anything to do with where Mizzou was, you know, for our listeners, <laughs> that was entirely different. Mizzou couldn't defend last year. That's, that's the fact. Yeah, Missouri, they won Missouri close games they couldn't play. defend. That's why they're ranked where they were. But as far as an entire conference, I think the big 12 has gotten a little bit of a benefit of the doubt, not that it really matters in the grand scheme of things. Um, but you still have to win games to get into the tournament. Yeah. Kim Pomeroy's second secondary when it comes to resume. Um, But, you know, I think it's good that Mizzou and the SEC might be having that effect this year as mind numbing as it is that South Carolina could be considered at what the top. What did you say? There were 70 team. Yep. Top 70, 66th. Yeah. I don't see it, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) People are like, you guys just look at numbers. I'm like, no, we we, we watched South Carolina. <laughs> I experienced Lamont Paris's year one on at least five occasions. That was not a good basketball team. It was, but it's and they probably played their best game of the year against Mizzou. Probably one of them, or up there with Alabama is probably one of their best ones. Um, 
and they beat Kentucky. one or two games they won. Yeah, <laughs> they beat Kentucky. Um, the, uh, the other thing I would say to folks is don't freak out about where the numbers are. I, I usually don't. The numbers are, are sort of like a bait. Uh, I think you put it better on Twitter. They're a baseline starting point mm-hmm. for us. I always look at where Missouri sits within the pecking order of the SEC. I average all the sort of, you know, analytic numbers out, do the ranges. Missouri's sitting at 46.3 is its average in, you know, across the four you know, sort of metrics or outlets at this point. Historically, that's bubble territory. That's the ninth best average in the conference. That's bubble territory. Mm-hmm. You look at the SEC media poll, they were ninth. You look at the AP poll that came out, Missouri's not in the poll, but of the SEC teams that picked up points, they were eighth. Right. What I would say to people is don't get locked in on the game-by-game outcomes and say, oh, they predict us to go 2-12. and 12. Don't look at that. That The probabilistic numbers are going to get better as the data starts to input. Look at the bottom numbers and look at where Missouri is in relation to everybody else and then, you know, ask yourself, okay, if we lost our four top scorers, three starters, and your ninth in returning production to enter the year, you know, in a year where the model says that this should be potentially an eight-bid league, to be ninth is a really, really good spot for where this program is. I, I think it's it's fair. I, I don't know. I, I did mention this on Twitter today. I don't know that I agree with it, but I think it's absolutely fair. There's yeah. nothing there's nothing outrageous about Mizzou being picked somewhere between seventh and tenth. Yeah. It's just yeah. it's a strong league. There's a lot of jumbling in the middle. I don't even know if there's a clear top of the league. Um, the bottom mm-hmm. is probably better than it was a year ago. Um, so a lot of this is variable. Um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't pick them 13th, like whatever publication that was that I, you know, whatever. But, you know, I, I just want to put this out there and I've said it before, but the analytic numbers, the Ken Pomeroy, the Bart Torvik, the Eric Haslam, if you disregard them as a ranking system and instead look at them as a system that puts a betting line on teams, you know, Vegas, yeah. That's what he's doing. It's a power pull. Where would Mizzou, as if the season opened up today, how would they be favored against or favored for or favored against any team in the in the land? Yeah. You know, and that's all it is. And once there's more data, it changes. You know, so if Mizzou's 55th and they come out and they beat Arkansas Pine Bluff by hundred points and they beat Memphis by 20, guess what? They're gonna be up in the 30s like that. Look at these play. Maybe even higher. You know, it's it, it moves. It, it's a learning system and it projects forward. It doesn't care what you've done in the past except to inform your projections moving forward. Um, you know, and so don't 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 get bound out of shape about it. It's it's a great thing. It's a great tool. It's the fact that it's public and he charges a subscription fee of twenty dollars to have access to volumes of data. It's a great resource. Yeah. It, but take it for what it is. NCAA the, tournament is not picking this team over this team because their Ken Palm rankings higher, even though the other team has a better resume. It no. just doesn't happen. No. And the one thing I would say too that we've always talked about is I always use Kim Palm as descriptive. It mm-hmm. helps you describe how your team plays. 
you know, when you look at all the numbers, it was pretty obvious last year. Why is Missouri with all these great offensive numbers? Why is it 55th? We'll look at that red dot on its off on its defensive efficiency rating and look at its rebounding rate. Missouri is fantastic on offense. It cannot get a stop defensively and it gets beat up on the glass. Mm-hmm. That's what it's telling you. And now if you think that that's crap and you know, that the system is screwed up, whatever that's, I'm not going to argue that with you, but it's telling you, it's describing to you how Missouri is playing basketball. If, and I can, Back this up. If you go put on the tape, and if you go like Missouri had one of the I think one of the worst defensive ratings on open catch and shoots last year and gave the most of them. If you go put on the tape, Missouri's giving up a lot of open catch and shoots. <laughs> so it's accurately describing how Missouri is playing. Yeah. Missouri went a you know flipped three games. Missouri's description, you know, how they played was probably what eighth or ninth you take three makes off the board they're a nine win team how replicable is our three buzzer beaters ken palm was and all these sites were accurately describing how missouri was playing but to your point they don't look back they don't look back and say oh that was a great shot by dree i'm gonna give you three (laughs) points and he did it twice so you're you're... (laughs) like the one thing i would tell people is ken palm has a thing called luck which is probably not the best terrible name for it terrible terrible name it's a terrible name for variance is really what it is missouri had the 10th highest variance from the forecasted outcome in the country last year that means there were if you plugged in all the numbers and you did the betting line which watkins is out sort of described here missouri defied that betting line 10 times it was 10th in the country defying betting lines in the positive yeah in the positive I can go put on the tape and show you three or four games. (laughs) The rally against LSU at LSU, the rally at home against Ole Miss, the rally on the road at Wichita State, and three last-second shots. Six games right there where traditionally you would not win those games. The probabilistics would probably be, what, 50-50 in those chances usually? I don't even think you need to to look at the rallies. You just look at central florida and tennessee buzzer beaters i mean those are incredibly low percentage shots in yeah. games that Mizzou was not only not winning they were trailing Milling so if the those shots don't go in the game is over yeah but also the wichita state game you mentioned uh, mizzou did a great had a great play that dennis gates spent i think an hour at tiger talk diagramming that got him a shot to tie the game um i believe hodge hit one of two free throws yeah um Wichita State had a runner from six feet that did not go down at the end of regulation. If that shot goes down, that's three games right there. Just, you know, if you're six inches one way or the other, and how do you look at the season? Mizzou's a bubble team, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And (laughs) it's just the way it is. So when we look at the preseason, what we really try and do is, I think for me, it's always, what's Mizzou going to, what were they bad at and where do they project them to improve? Mm-hmm. A lot of these analytic models are predicting Missouri to make some cases Haslam's got them making like a massive jump in defensive efficiency, like over a hundred spots, 50 or 60 spots in defensive efficiency. Yeah. That's a absurdly good improvement on the defensive end, but they're also going to probably sink to what around a top 25 level on offense. Yeah. 
So all this mm-hmm. stuff is pushing and pulling. They're going to be better on defense, probably a little bit worse on offense. And I don't think they're going to go nine and one in two score games again. Yeah. So I think with Pomeroy, they had 18, 18. two possession games projected, and he has them going seven and 11 in those games. Yeah. There's not going to be 18 possession, one, two possession games. They're not going to go seven and 11. You know, I don't know what they're going to go. Um, but last year they won 90% of those games. That's how you got up to a 25 win team. This year, we don't know. Maybe they do it again. Odds are that it probably won't happen. I mean, there's very few, if any, coaches that year in, year out are incredible in one position games. Um, Bill Self probably is up there, and I don't think it's all due to his own doing, playing his home games on Lawrence. Um, You know, just saying it's it's a thing. But, you know, that's how much – this stuff matters, the, the close games, you know, Mizzou's season rapidly changed based on those wins. The only close game they lost last year was at Arkansas when they led big in the first half, basically got blown out in the second half yeah. and then came back and chipped away a little and never really had a chance to win it. Yeah. Every other game they lost, it was not pretty. No. You know, these were, these were decisive defeats. Yeah, and that, as we documented last spring, that dragged on their net rating. So what we're what we keep coming back around to is these systems. As you look at them, look at them as descriptive as to how Missouri's playing. It's trying to tell you how this team is functioning. When you get to March, they're going to weigh that against, to a certain extent, if you have a similar resume to somebody else. Mm-hmm. But as you document last year and as you document every year, the organizing principle really is, you know, net quad one wins. It's a pretty straightforward system. These things only come into play when you have played to a certain level or you are having to compare teams head to head. But we'll, yeah. we'll see when we get there. But only point on that is I'm not going to give away my whole bag of tricks on this, but looking at this really close last year, I waited the resume metrics, which are a measure of how you've done against what teams you've played and takes no account for how much you beat them by anything like that, but it, you know, where you played them, who you beat, um, those were significantly more impactful in where seeds or teams ended up, whether they made the tournament, whether they didn't, where they got seeded versus Ken Pomeroy. Mizzou was an outlier. Ken Pomeroy would not have had them in the tournament. Yeah. ESPN BPI would not have had them in the tournament. Net would have been close if not yeah. in the tournament. And they ended up a seven seed. You know, yeah. maybe they're a six seed if things go better in the in the metrics, but well, yeah. at that point, what difference does it make? You got to win a game against a lower seeded team, and then yeah. you're gonna get a higher seeded team in the second round. And if you to your point, if you correlate net, if you correlate all these things and you put them in a spreadsheet, you run base correlations and you do like even like a 5% error P test. Mm-hmm. It's quality wins. It's resume metrics. Right. Like this stuff 100%. at the end of the day, what you should care about in March when you look at the net is that is telling you how your team played in assessing and putting together its resume. And the committee's only going to care about it. If like you get into a situation where it's, you know, we got Creighton in Missouri on a seed line battle. Let's really 
dig into the nitty gritty here. Right. Eh, Missouri, you know, they had comp, you know, maybe they have comparable schedules. Missouri didn't play quite as well. We're going to give the nod to Creighton. Like that's how granular it's got to get. So again, absolutely going into the season, our long PSA here is use these as a baseline, use them to help settle loose pecking order in your head. And as you check in during the year, it's just going to tell you how Missouri's playing. So that's all I got on that point. Um, I think we beat it to death. I think we beat it to death, Watkins. <laughs> We've done it. They didn't tell me how to use the spreadsheet thing, so we couldn't show that one guy all the spreadsheets. We're sorry about that. But we have a feeling after listening and watching us talk about this, you all are grateful. You all are very, very grateful. But Watkins, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else? Um, nope. I think uh, I think that just about does it. I think we've given our listeners something to chew on in their, you know, the Alabama and Auburn. I guess Auburn and Arkansas fans. Are I put them all to sleep. Your, put them all to sleep. Swarming your inbox. <laughs> not going to come in. Um, the only uh, PSA we have is Sam's. Uh, pre- team previews are rolling out. Those are fantastic every year, Sam. He's probably, it's probably one of the major reasons I came to Barry. the site. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, you're not going to have a guy who's watching South Carolina's freshman in YouTube cut-ups <laughs> and trying to tell you how Colin Marie Boyles is playing. Sam legitimately does the legwork on these he puts in the time he's thoughtful with them Mm -hmm. he's as objective going through the process as possible so it's a fantastic resource it really helps inform what we do throughout the year those have started um south carolina was on monday and then georgia dropped today and then another one will drop tomorrow on october 18th they'll be rolling out every day um this guy over here and i we are probably about what a third of the way through on player previews we've just finished um the transfers we will start to get into the returners soon um can't say enough for what matt does really makes the job easy really cares about projecting this stuff really puts in the thought with it you know has reached out and talked to people inside the program as well to try and get feedback on what we're thinking it's it's really really important to us that when you read this stuff you're seeing as you know complete a picture as possible so those are rolling out right now um, we've got beat writers, uh, Jaden and Parker, who are showing up and talking to people. Uh, those young bucks are doing the hard work and sparing us and letting us sit in basements and talk about <laughs> metrics. So read their stuff. They're doing really, really great work. And overall, um, just keep coming to the site. We appreciate your work. We appreciate everything you guys do to support us. And with that, um, I think I'm going to get out of here. Does that sound good, Watkins? Love it. Awesome. <laughs> we will see you all next week. And Sam will talk about bourbon and put you all to sleep. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, And if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and and read about. It is a great, great network full of really fantastic podcasts. So look them up and subscribe uh, to any and all of those podcasts. Uh, Rock M Radio will be back with more episodes coming soon. Thanks. Thanks.